Welcome to Conversations with Founders, a podcast series featuring the women shaping culture and creativity as entrepreneurs. In these conversations, we explore the stories behind them and the movements they're creating. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Bonnie Langedijk, founder of HERS, a media platform celebrating the stories of leading women offering smart content through a style lens. In this episode, Bonnie shares who the HERS woman is, what this woman is looking for from their content, and how she's gone out and built a media platform that goes against the grain. Let's dive in. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. In your own words, can we start with who you are and a little introduction to yourself? Of course. Uh, My name is Bonnie. I'm from Amsterdam originally. I moved to London about seven and a half years ago now. I launched my own company a year and a half ago now called HERS. It's a new media company for women by women and really giving a new aesthetical lens on culture. So really bringing together the best of fashion, art, design, food, music, and all in equal measure. And then before that, I was working in publishing. I worked mostly in styling and art direction. Then I spent some time at Netta Porter and that kind of led me to where I am today. Growing up in Amsterdam, yes. you know, that is a bit of a creative hub. Do you think that influenced you at all growing up? And what was your childhood like? I mean, I think more so than Amsterdam, I guess you don't really see something as a creative hub when you grow up there. But for me, it was mostly my parents. Both of my parents worked in advertising. And from a really young age, especially my dad. So my dad was an art director. My mom was a copywriter. So they were matched at work. And especially my dad always really kind of, if I said for once I was interested in architecture, he would get every architecture book on the market and he would always take whatever I wanted to do so seriously. And what we kind of really bonded over was magazines and publishing and creating things and how everything visually looked. So from a really young age, my dad would work on a campaign and then he would make three or four different versions for a client. And he would ask me, which one is the best and why? Wow. Um, No pressure. Yeah. What a great Um, introduction to the industry as well. Yeah. And also it always made me feel like my opinion was as valid as that of an adult. And I'm not saying we were best friends and there were no rules, but it did feel like it was okay for me to have an opinion or to disagree on things. And I think that's quite important from when you're young to know that your voice matters. What? ads are you responsible for that your dad took credit for? (laughs) I mean, there were, of course, some local campaigns because he, you know, for radio stations and those sort of things. But he worked, he made the first IKEA guide uh, for the Netherlands, for the Dutch market. Such an iconic piece of work. Yeah, he worked on Jaguar, Marlboro, like he worked on so many of the biggest brands. He basically was the art director for one of the biggest advertising agencies in Amsterdam that also had an office in New York. So he would also tell me these crazy stories about the first time they went to New York and how they all had the cubicles they sat in. Like it was just like a movie Mad Men vibes, exactly that. Or he would tell me about how they went to Cannes and they had like private lunches on beaches. And I was like, who are you? (laughs) And how are you getting paid for this? Yeah. (laughs) So how do do I make this my job? Mm. And then, I mean, I think from a really young age, my dad would also take me to this magazine shop in the city center. It's called Ateneum. And they literally had every magazine under Horizon. And, you know, the Dutch market has all the basic magazines like the Vogue's, Elle's, not basic, but... um, Globally relevant. Exactly. And this store was one of the only ones that had 
all the global editions as well. So they had Vogue France or they had like a nylon magazine or all these kind of little independent publishing magazines. And we would go there and I was kind of allowed to go wild. And for me, even though I grew up with parents working advertising and in Amsterdam where there is culture around you, I didn't have that lens into the fashion industry or into the design industry like some people do. And through those magazines, I think for so many people, that's a kind of first window into that world. And it was always this kind of exploration, inspiration of what was possible in the world or what was out there. And I think especially kind of pre-internet, you know, that was the way how you could explore new things. And you got a sense of the craft and the beauty of, you know, something physical, yeah. but like the institution of magazines and how they're created and everything is so well editorially styled and how that's evolved obviously since then. Absolutely. And I mean, I always loved that. And then my dad kind of started teaching me how to use Photoshop and InDesign and how to build layouts and Sometimes he would give me little tricks to make it easier. And he'd be like, don't ever show graphic design. Um, <laughs> what was his style reference? Like, is that in your style reference now? I mean, I think our styles were very different. He loved like a Bodoni type, like classic, beautiful design. But he also loved Keith Haring mm. and like very pop arty things kind of kick against the rules or the establishment kind of thing. Like, do something that says something or stands for something and don't look only in your own industry. And I think that's something we can now very much learn from where fashion just looks at fashion, design just looks at design. And those things only become relevant if they're in context of each other. And so would you say that's your biggest, like what you most aligned on from your style or have you taken any inspiration from him? I mean, I think the biggest kind of inspiration from his side I took is he always stayed kind of like a child. It's weird. I know that's a very, maybe a strange thing to say, but <laughs> there was a sort of naivete or a sort of anything is possible. And often you lose creativity when you start thinking too much about, oh, but maybe it's too that, or we're trying to reach that customer. And his ideas were always quite pure and not really thinking about what's the end user or what is the end goal. It's just like, I think this looks great. And then on your mom's side, the art of writing. Yes. How did she inspire you? So my parents split up when I was very young, but we always still went for dinner together. It was very amicable, which I know I'm very lucky with. I've grown up with that. My mom is very meticulous and a perfectionist in her own way. You know, she raised my sister and I most of the time. And she always showed me that you can have a career and be a great mom. And I think that's I think so many women still feel like they have to make a choice. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I do think if you want to, you can. And also to not feel like you have to feel guilty by choosing your career too. You know, I was also very lucky. My mom chose uh, nurseries and those sort of things that were amazing. Like I still look back on that time and I had such a great time. I still know some of the people I went to nursery with. Like, it was very idyllic. And I think that also helped in my mom not feeling guilty or feeling bad about leaving us behind. And I think she's also always taught me to be very critical or question things. And also, I was just going to touch on the, yeah. you know, the childcare of the Netherlands mm. and the importance of like a country like Netherlands that values, you know, the working woman and structures that are put in place to allow for that. 
It's funny though, because even though the Netherlands has those structures, mm. it's a country where it's very common to work part-time, especially women. My mom did work full-time, but it's very common for women to only actually yeah, take part half of the time in work, which then often later in life limits them because they don't make the same investment in their career as men do. Great example of countries where they have it organized really well is Sweden where both the mother and the father get paternity and maternity leave. So often the mom will be with the kids in the beginning and then they swap around. And I think as a child, you also get a relationship with your parent, of course, with both parents equally, because if the mom is the main caretaker, then if there's something wrong in your life, the first person you go to is like, mom, can I do this? Mom, can I have that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Taking that inspiration from two incredible parents, it sounds yeah. like. What did you go on to study and what did you go on to learn? I was very split. I loved fashion. I found Tumblr and was obsessed. <laughs> it was this new magazine world for me, but on hyperspeed. So I really wanted to go to fashion school on the one side. And in Amsterdam, you have one that's more business related. So it's more marketing, communications, branding, really aligned with that. And then the other thing I looked at was media. And then my mom was like, what if you get bored of fashion? And I was like, that's never, never going to happen. <laughs> and then... Was we, your mom or father into fashion from personal perspective? I think my dad appreciated more from a sort of aesthetical point of view. I remember watching Giorgio Armani documentary with my dad and I was in awe. I think that was maybe my first time that I was like, I want to be a fashion designer. <laughs> I can't. But other than that, no, like my parents didn't invest in their clothes. Like my dad loved style, but it was more like he would want the classic Ray-Ban or he'd be like, yeah, I'm really looking for this like 50s pleated trouser right now. Amazing. You know, more that. Yeah. And then my mom, again, also appreciated a beautiful product, but it wasn't about brands or those sort of things. It was more just about having things that are well-designed. Good tailoring, good style. Exactly. Yeah. So my mom was like, what if you get bored of fashion? That kind of stuck in my mind. And then I went with media. So I studied international media. So it's in the Netherlands, but it's in English. And when you focus literally on everything and anything in media. So it's from radio producing to things in TV to I run the school magazine. Like you do a bit of everything. I learned so much, but it was it's a hard studies to do if you don't know what you want, because you kind of had to zero in on where you wanted to go. And from the beginning, my mom had a subscription to Elle magazine. And that was, we didn't have Vogue or any other real fashion publication. So I straight away knew like, this is where I want to be. That we also had this editor in chief who was like our Anna Wintour. And I was just in awe, felt so far away from me that I really wanted to be a part of it. We had to do an internship during our time at uni. And I remember talking to this study coach and she's like, oh, what do you want to do? Like, what are your options? It's like, I'm going to do my internship at L. And she's like, yeah, but what's your backup? I was like, what do you mean? Because <laughs> what, what's your backup if it doesn't work out? I'm like, I don't need a backup. <laughs> I was like, tunnel vision. Yes. That's amazing. And tunnel vision works. I was very goody two shoes, follow the rules, like not at all how people like to paint entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're usually the rebels or don't do well in school. I was not that. I love rules. I love to excel. I love to be like the quiet girl in class who did what they <laughs> were asked to do and beyond. 
And the internship is you had to, I don't know, do it by January or something. And I literally applied the year before I emailed them already. I was like, wow. nothing is going to chance. No one's taking my spot. And so I, did you get it? Yes, I did. Thank God. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> that would have crushed me. Yeah. And so you did an internship with Elle. And yeah. what was that like? Was it as exciting and everything you wanted it? Or was there a little bit of a letdown? No, I loved it. I mean, um, my internship was in production. So I produced all the fashion shoots for all the women's titles. So Women's Health, Harper's Bazaar. L and Cosmo. And this was kind of at a time where things were shifting a little bit in publishing, you know, where slowly because of the internet and social media, this was kind of when Instagram came up and all of those things, you just saw, okay, we need to save money. So that's why production kind of all became, you know, connected under one team. And it was basically me and my boss. And that was it. I was just thrown in the deep end. I remember she was on holiday for like three weeks. Two weeks after I started and the fashion director came to me and said, oh, yeah, we're doing a shoot in Miami. Can you organize it, please? <laughs> As and, the intern. And I was like, I never produced a shoot. How am I going to do this? And I was like, OK, we'll figure it out, whatever. And I did. But I love that. I love being thrown in the deep end and just go. Thriving. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was great. And then from there, I kind of befriended one of the shopping editors and I love production. I was good at it, but I really missed the creative side. So then I started doing more styling and more things on the side, editing the shopping pages. But it was a real great first look into how do media publications work? Who works there? What is their monetization strategy? Uh, you know, having the yearly or seasonal brainstorm about what are we going to talk about this year? So it was a great first look into that world, definitely. And you mentioned entrepreneurship. Mm. Have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur, do you think? Or do you think that was as a result of the opportunity or lack thereof representation? It's interesting. I don't know. It's not that I had a moment in life where I was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I think also because it is only something that's been coming up as a sort of career choice mm. in the last couple of years. But I was always someone who, if I wanted something, I'd created my own. It's silly, but even my best friend and I in, in high school, everyone had these very boring diaries. So we would have like pimp people's diaries, you know, like pimp my ride, wow. but pimp my diary. So That's we would niche. sit in the back of the classroom, like making collages on people and like making them really look really nice. I mean, that's a really silly example, but no, it's not. Or I, we had to do a magazine for the, or we had to do a project at the end of high school as like the one you kind of finish school with and everyone would, you know, really write an essay or something like that. And I created my own magazine and like, how do you create an own magazine? I had to make a business plan, all of that. Like once I put my mind to something, I just do it. It doesn't have to be for someone or to get a grade or those sort of things. It's like, I just kind of want to test it out if I can do it and what it would look like. Well, it sounds like hers is a continuation of this yeah. high school project. Should you should have known. Pimping the diaries. Yeah. Um, could you, in your own words, for those who haven't heard of hers, touch on it, what your vision and mission is? So hers is a new media company for women by women. We have a newsletter, a website, and of course we do socials as well. It really came from the idea of I saw that especially men, when you look at media, had these publications that really captured their culture at that time really well. 
whether that was streetwear or something else, but it kind of combined art, fashion, design, music. There was this whole community built around it. Like these guys would go off in the comment section or meet up, or there would be events lining up at certain stores. And when I looked at the kind of women's environment that just didn't exist for us, well, I did see women who would go to the same workout classes, shop from the same brands, go to the same restaurants, and were kind of trying to connect with each other over Instagram. But there was no place for us that connected all of those things of culture together. Kind of the women, you know, who are leading culture forward, defining where culture goes next. And those women where you want to screenshot every story they post because you want to go to that restaurant and you want to go. And there was no space that kind of combined those women or that attitude for that matter. I felt in media that it was so generalized. There was either, you know, something very niche, like an art magazine that talks about that one exhibition, also in a way that I have no clue what they're talking about. And the other side was like very general public, oh, the five red dresses you need to buy or kind of trying to appeal to anyone and with it saying nothing. And I just felt like there was a piece, especially online, I think it's a bit different in print publishing. I think there's some great titles out there. Like I love The Gentlewoman. I thought Serial Magazine was amazing, but there was nothing online that had that experience of prints, intellectual lens on style, and also kind of a sense of humor or a sort of coolness to it. Well, that definitely reflects in Thank hers you. and the brand and everything you put out. Thank How you. did you bring it to life? What was the kind of process that you went through? It's funny because it was just an idea that was in my head for a long time that I kind of continuously started thinking about. And then I had this little booklet and it would just sometimes write things down. And then I would talk about it with my partner, with friends, be like, have you seen something like this? No, it would be cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or what are you talking about? What are you thinking about? And during the pandemic, I was furloughed for a long time and I was like, I gotta just try So I built the website myself. I did the branding myself. And I mean, I think coming from a fashion background, I always very much already have an idea of what I like and what I find beautiful. And as I said, I really wanted to create that print experience and translate that to online and also create a sort of framework, but that doesn't necessarily dictate what kind of women we cover. I think for me, rather than they have to fit our aesthetic, it's very much about fitting our attitudes about being multidimensional as a woman, about being honest that it's not always easy or fun. We're not always pretty. Sometimes you drop coffee all over your shirt, not glamorizing, eating an almond a day to look so skinny. It's just being real, Mm -hmm. but without trying too hard to be real. Like, And also being intellectual, but also enjoying to talk about the new bag you bought. And I just feel, you know, that wasn't represented in media, as I said. And That's what we're really trying to build with hers. Like we have our product section where we put a bottle of natural wine next to a Cartier watch. And it's not about you have to buy these products. It's more creating this curatorial lens on the products out there. And if you want to dive into that, go ahead. But it's not, oh, if you buy these 10 products, you're going to be on trend or you're going to be happy or you're going to be. It's more putting that world in front of her and she can pick and choose. And when you gave the example of the organic wine beside a Cartier watch, it's like the branding of the organic wine and how that mimics the luxury experience. There's something in that organic wine that does things differently, which I 
love. And I think there's so many products out there right now that people are looking for a filter, not a filter that tells them what to do or what to wear, or what to buy, but a filter that just kind of showcases them what's out there slightly more digestible. When you go even to like one of the big retailers, it's overwhelming how much product there is. And people need a way to express their individuality or their identity. And I think we touched on this before, but, you know, community being such a central part of the corporate world at the moment and it being a very buzzword because brands trying to capitalize on these authentic communities that have, you know, built themselves from the ground up through shared interests. Yeah. How are you doing that with hers in terms of building that community that is curated and is authentic to you? It's so funny with community, isn't it? Where it's like, we use that word as if we would use that in everyday life. I'm just going to go hang out with my community and feel empowered. I'm feeling empowered my with favorite, my community. My favorite, my favorite two buzzwords. No, it's funny, the community element, because I think it's this secret sauce. That's probably why it's become a buzzword as well, that you can't really quantify. But what I did when I started hers was, as I mentioned, I saw this kind of group of women from my friends to, you know, big stars or more famous people with a big following that were kind of trying to connect some way, whether that was through a comment on Instagram or following each other. So what I did was kind of create a mind map of all these women that I felt were very hers. And it could be anyone from like friend level weeks to Rosie Huntington Whiteley to literally my best friend. Mm -hmm. I kind of made this mind map like, oh, she knows her or she follows her Mm. or seeing these existing bubbles of communities in social and how can you connect the dots for them? Because it's often some sort of overlap between one or two women already. And it's intangible, right? Yes. And you know, they follow like five of the same brands or, oh, they've both been to that gallery in three years and not in a way that it's so research-based or so literal, but you kind of see like, oh, these women all live in the same world. And I think because our lens is quite specific I've then from the beginning kind of see people just latch onto it who get it. And if you don't get it, that's fine as well. I'm not, I think there's so much media out there and I'm sure there's something for everyone, but my goal isn't to be the next Vogue. I think for me, it's very important that there's a point of view, there's a niche, it's for a specific type of person. Who is that person? How would you define that person? Well, the first thing that might be interesting is that like 15% of our following is men. Okay. Which is interesting. It might be down to my partner being my free PR agent uh, who loves to repost (laughs) things. He does. He's a great, very supportive partner. He's a great amplifier of our message, which is nice. I don't think it's necessarily up to me to identify or like kind of put a framework on Mm -hmm. who it should be. But overall, a woman who doesn't take herself too seriously, but at the same time, she knows what she wants. She's like a clear leader. She doesn't follow other people. She doesn't buy something because it's a trend or because her friends buy it. She buys it because she wants to buy it. And then she'll still explore things through Instagram or through other women. But it's more for informational purposes, like knows what she wants. But it's also she can joke about it. It's like, yeah, I choose my wine based on the label. I know nothing about wine. I don't. This is me. <laughs> And that's a mindset, right? It's, you know, it's, it's like mindset. an open-minded, it's curation. It's not defined by 
a brand that they wear or no. like a label that they have. It's like a mindset. I yeah. And they like the good things in life. That doesn't mean it needs to be expensive or exclusive. It can be sometimes, but it doesn't have to be. And also, I think it's a woman who isn't afraid to share her opinion. She is opinionated. She's not just fashion design. She cares about everything that's going on in culture and likes to share that too. But at the same time, she's, it doesn't define her. And also she's not perfectly put together. Her aesthetic is quite minimal and, you know, beige and neutral. I don't think our woman wakes up every day ironing her shirt because she doesn't have time for yeah. that, you know, and she isn't afraid to go outside without makeup on. It's not about, I think so much of what's put out there for women is putting together this perfect picture of, oh, you're wearing the perfect makeup. You had six facials this week. You woke up at 5 a.m. with your lemon water. It's just not realistic. Sometimes I'm tired and uh, my hair looks ridiculous. And uh, I spilled binge on selling sunset for three hours. And and that's, (laughs) yeah. And why not? Not everything has to be perfect and aesthetical and Instagrammable. And I think that's very important. And also to create a space for women to be able to share that, to have real, honest, unfiltered, funny conversations. Because that just doesn't exist. Like even when you think about TV or radio or brands, like how often is someone so real? Maybe podcasting is the space where you can have that most because you can have a real conversation. And I think it's interesting because this also leads into, I think, how so many female founders are represented. I've heard so many women who even say that their investors push them to be influencers, basically. I find it such a shame. I mean, I'm not like that and I will never do that. It just doesn't come naturally to me and I don't feel comfortable doing that. If you are, then that's amazing. You know, I never want to tell women what to do or what not to do, but I find it such a shame that there's this culture where we expect women to be this perfect version and we want them to be this perfect version. So we can also tell our friends, oh, I do what she does. Wake up at 5 a.m. with my lemon water X, Y, Z. But then also love to break them down when they take one step wrong or have one not so successful outfit or whatever it is. You know, it's it's such a terrible contrast for me. It's such an offense to women as well, because, you know, any other male entrepreneur doesn't have to. It doesn't matter how many what their Instagram account looks like. It doesn't matter how many times they post. It doesn't matter if they're not sharing their daily work routine. Yeah. You know, it's not needed, but it seems to be needed for women because we have to take those extra steps. We have to go above and beyond to actually be heard and to be recognized, which is, I can't remember exactly, I think it was a Harvard Business Review report about the percentage of investment that went to women in 2022. Yeah. Was it three or 5%? No, I Something think even less. It's, oh, it's yeah. so sad. It is so it sad. It is so sad. And it's also funny because even though these women are kind of pushed to push the messaging of empowerment, we're um, launching a white paper about women's media in September about, I think most women, when we kind of look at women in media, we very much look about portrayal, how women look in women's media and how that makes us feel, but not really the experience of reading it or what's in it or the context of publishing and media itself. So that's really what we focus on more. So many women said that they find empowerment one of the worst terms. It's not inspiring. It's tiring. And even this kind of 
you know, putting women on a pedestal and then taking them down. There's nothing inspiring about that. No, not at all. I want to touch on what you were talking about, you know, the people you speaking to your best friends, speaking to like a curated audience who have been your people to get you here and supported you. And do you have an advisory board and what does that look like? I definitely don't have an advisory board. If people want to be on one with me, call me, text me. (laughs) No, I'm quite lucky to have a group of, you know, friends that are founders and they've been amazing soundboards or there's women who launch design agencies by themselves and just that you can kind of soundboard on or send things to me. Like, what do you think about this? And that's been incredible. It's become so much easier to reach out to people that you appreciate. Like, Sometimes I'll just get an email from someone like, oh, I really appreciate what you do. Can we meet up for coffee? And I love that. I think that's so important as well to get people from outside of your existing network. Of course, I'll talk to my best friend. I'll talk to my mom. I'll talk to my boyfriend, but they are always going to probably (laughs) say nice things. I think it's very healthy to have different points of view, people from different backgrounds, if you can. Yeah. And I also think the people you feature in hers are such a broad and diverse spectrum of people who have such unique insights. So getting to interview them like this for me, you know, as part of this podcast, I just love it because I get to just talk to amazing people about amazing things and see how they built it, how they think about, you know, building a business differently. So it's a testament to what you've done. Completely. And I mean, for me, it's completely selfish as well. Half the time we interview, I interviewed um, this woman, her name's Paula Schur, and she's this incredible designer. She was on the Netflix series Abstract as well. And she's a graphic designer. She's one of the heads of Pentagram in New York. And she's an icon. Like she designed the Shake Shack logo, the Citibank logo. Her stories are insane. And you know, when you don't really understand the impact someone's had on the world until you sit on with them on a call. That type of brand building is amazing. And she was the first woman to be signed by the agency as one of like the directors. And she said that in the beginning, it was wild. Like people didn't want her to run certain projects. Oh and, God. you know, you see where she's now and the whole team she's built. And that's also for me, it was interesting, even with this white paper. So we were trying to figure out how women experience media. And one of the questions was about inspiration, like how, why do you go to media? And everyone said inspiration. And then we asked, do you feel inspired after? It was like 76% doesn't feel inspired after reading media. Wow. That's because it's from a certain lens. Yeah. And it's, so there's clearly a market for it, but it's just not being fulfilled. I think it's also because the kind of interviews we have with women, the way they are portrayed, the stories media does about us kind of always follow the same format. It's very much focused on what do we wear? What do we eat? What's our morning routine? And I feel so often I see women being asked questions that a man, the other day I saw a video, finish this sentence, what uh, femininity is. Have you ever heard someone ask a man masculinity <laughs> is? No, I don't want to hear that what, either. What do you want to, what advice do you have for young girls? It's almost like, why do we have to do the work? That's what I don't understand. Like it's as much the job of men as it is of women to make a world that's more equal. 
And I just feel like 90% of the work is pushed on us. You know, even when we're an entrepreneur, we still have to kind of showcase we're the perfect homemaker and beautiful and pretty look after and the kids nice. and make sure like when children come into it as well, it's another realm. It's yes. just, I don't have children yet, but I have so much respect for women who have their own businesses yeah. and do that too. I don't know how, but mm-hmm. somehow they're doing it. Women deserve so much better than what's out there now. And that's really what drove me to launch hers. I just saw too many narratives, not enough inclusivity in media. And it just, it feels like every now and then we're ticking a box and it seems to be going forward. And then we're taking 10 steps back. You know, I think growing up, I was heavier when I grew up and looking in those magazines, there was no one that looked like me. I think every person deserves to see themselves in something or have their opinion heard or voiced in some way. And general media is more focused because of their business model on keeping their advertisers happy over their reader. And that's why they're losing them. That's honestly how I feel. And that's why people go to social to interact with individuals rather than publishers or magazines. I'll come back to that point because mm. I want to quickly, I think it's such an important one and, you know, the balancing the act of advertorial and editorial, quickly touching on your brand. I'd love to, mm-hmm. you do have such a distinct look and feel and visual identity. How did you bring that to life? And what was some of the like, nitty gritty details of that curation process? As I mentioned before, I fell in love with Tumblr a very long time <laughs> ago, and I think I have about 30,000 saved images on there. Wow. You still use it? I'm still using it. I won't give up on Tumblr. (laughs) Okay. No, but I just kind of started with pulling together references. And a lot of those were also, it was a real mix between fashion, art, design, a lot of like old ads, even some old work from my dad that I loved. Mm. Up until now, we have our Her Read section. It has like these images that are drawn and it's the drawings my dad did for me. Wow. Um, so they're still on the website, which I love. There's like a bit of him on there. I love those. So your dad did them? Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. Um, I was literally looking at the last night wondering, how, like, did you commission those? Yeah. It's your dad. Yeah. It's so it's sentimental. It's my dad. It's yeah. I don't know. It's funny because I've worked in branding and, you know, art direction with so many brands, but then having a brand of your own. I think it's very much just a reflection of my style and my aesthetic. But what I really wanted to create is I saw the kind of cultural community that I wanted to reach. And they love, as I said, like a natural wine. They love the row. They love Vincent van like designs, all of those kind of little bits. And I wanted to put all of that together. But I then think often things within that world are very stiff and exclusionary and kind of elitist. Mm -hmm. I was like, what if we bring that aesthetic together with editorial that feels very unfiltered and real? And, you know, it's a mix of different women from different backgrounds and kind of creating that contrast through that. And then in the beginning, what I did was putting together, I really wanted to launch with kind of a bit of a punch or like a, something that stood out. I think if you're small, you always kind of have to kick it to the man, you know? So we did these, I really wanted to do posters or, or billboards, but obviously they're very expensive. So I just found these kind of old images of billboards and I just Photoshopped them with texts on it. So we had all of these slogans that really defined who we are as a brand. And 
for me, that's again, like that's the sort of DIY approach still within that aesthetic of being beautiful and kind of elegant and chic, minimal vibe, but always with a DIY, like it should never be too perfect. What's your favorite of those slogans? I mean, we did a couple of good ones. I mean, what really defines us, I think uh, we prefer what's best over what's new. Yeah, I love that one. And then we did some that were more kind of like she smokes between the main and desserts in the row (laughs) or uh, she goes to the corner shop in Celine, you know, those sort of. But that's it's very like that high low mix where I don't like things when they're too precious. Mm -hmm. Like I love coming from a fashion meeting, all dressed up and then going to a really rowdy pub, Mm -hmm. you know, like kind of having the mix of the two, I think is important for it also to feel like it's accessible. If it's too perfect and put together, perfection doesn't interest me. It doesn't inspire. And talking about that, so you talked about the building the brand. What does the funding structure look like for hers? Well, right now it's just me. No funding. Funding is, and getting investment obviously is great. But I think you have to understand that once you take investment, there's other people that have expectations, Mm -hmm. which is fine, but it really depends what kind of business you're building. I was very lucky with hers that a lot of it in the beginning, I could do myself. I've built the website myself. I've done the branding myself. I didn't really have to outsource a lot of things. So I've been able to kind of bootstrap it up Mm -hmm. until now. And I think, you know, if you're launching a clothing brand or something that has a lot more logistics to it, you're going to need that initial investment. But I kind of started with nothing. And I suppose there's a lot more given what hers is, you know, a mission driven company. Yeah. So balancing editorial values, advertorial, how have you seen that balance play out and how, what's your mission for hers? As I mentioned, the problem with sort of general media is, is that through hunting for the money, they completely disregarded the, their own values or their own point of view. So I think for me, that's the most important balance to keep. I think if you build a meaningful community that's authentic and appreciates your point of view, you build a sort of a relationship of trust. And if you somehow sell yourself out, they will call you out for it. I think, you know, there's been some examples in the past where you've seen that where brands where Consumers are very critical as well. Once they love something, they want to make sure it stays where it is or that they stay true to who they are. And I think it's good as well that consumers keep brands, you know, honest. If you're expressing, if you're investing in a brand, you're expressing your identity through this brand. And if they decide to evolve their brand into something more, you know, that doesn't align with their values that's an identity attack almost. Yes. It's as if your best friend suddenly, you know, starts dressing different or and you're like, who, who is this person? Because I think also because of how we're now able to communicate with each other so directly, that relationship has completely changed. It's way closer than it used to be. So that's why it feels so much more personal, I think. So what we're really trying to do is Right now, I'm really building up the value of what we are as a company. So right now, our content's free. I've also thought a lot about subscriptions. But at the same time, right now, I don't think there's enough of us of the content yet to ask people to pay the amount of a Netflix subscription for our services. I also ask a lot about this because I think more and more people are going subscription. And I think there's definitely something to it. 
what is the value actually get and what are people okay with, you know, in terms of, I find that really interesting to kind of figure out. Yeah. I wonder, have you done like interesting to do any research around it? Cause I know from, you know, my own consumption that if I want high quality media, I pay for us. I pay yeah. for the Atlantic. I pay for the New York, you know, yeah. it's just part of the package that it's the expectation because you know, the quality the hours and the research and the curating that has gone into this content is so important. So it's something that I think we are accustomed to, but it'll be interesting to see how you decide to move that forward. I mean, I don't think there's one silver bullet monetization strategy that works. So how are you navigating the need for, you know, high quality advertorial, but also the need as a business to grow and expand and considering advertorial and advertising? I think it's interesting. And that's kind of the million dollar question in media right now. I think there's not one silver bullet similar to, you know, with brands first, it was, you have to have wholesale, then you have to do DTC. And now we're kind of understanding you need both. I think for me, it always comes back to how do we bring value to our reader? There's so much out there. And I think there are so many brands that are really interested in interacting with certain communities. And I think if they have a authentic match with us and what we stand for, and also want to give that value to our reader, then it makes sense for us to do a partnership. Again, that partnership always has to bring value to a reader. So there has to be some sort of valuable content or valuable information or a place to connect with others, something that adds value to them. And then in terms of editorial, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about the monetization strategy around editorial. Um, Right now, hers is completely free. I'm not going to say that's going to be like that forever. I haven't planned that out yet, but I do think it's an interesting conversation to have around what people are open to spending. You know, when you think about how much value you get with Netflix for, I don't know, 15 pounds a month or even a Spotify or a New York Times, you know, there's so much content on there. You're getting news, you're getting style, you're getting food. So I do think we're launching a club community element at one point, which I think is something we're going to monetize where it's a combination of specific content, being able to meet in person as well and have a connection hub digitally too. And I think that's a real way where you create value for your audience that they couldn't get anywhere else. Not that they can get our content anywhere else, I think, but I also want to be mindful of people that even if it's 10 pounds, not everyone's willing to spend that. And I want everyone to have access to this kind of content because I think it's important. Thank you so much, Bonnie. I love hers and I'm so excited for all that's to come for you and the company. I want to finish on a quick fire question, right? Oh, if yeah. you don't mind. Just let's do it. You. Number one, book that changed your life. I mean, I love Chew Dog. What he did was incredible. Well, it was mostly just that a company like Nike that is, you know, you can't walk in London without seeing someone in Nike and it could have not happened. I think that for me opened my eyes, like how many things went wrong. Also the like cultural relevancy of Nike, like how they do it. You know, I was watching do it like a Londoner. I think that's yes. what it's called. Like. It's just beautiful. Anyway, sorry, yeah. not as quick far as I had planned. But <laughs> <laughs> you want to leave the house without my phone. 
top trait you think you need for entrepreneurship? Curiosity. Who are you taking inspiration from? All the women I get to meet through hers. Top podcast recommendation? How I built this. I love. It's just, I always go back to it. Me too. And Rick Rubin's new podcast. Best advice you'd give to your younger self? Don't be so hard on yourself. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for having me.